0: Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics, the twice weekly podcast with me, Steve Richards. Thank you so much for tuning in wherever you are in the UK and indeed around the rest of the world. And there are a lot of you around the rest of the world at the moment. We've got questions from all over the globe if we have time to uh, get through them all uh, later on in the podcast. If it's okay with you, I will be reflecting shortly on the implications of the uh, row over the Labour ads. Got lots of questions about that as well. And linking it uh, to, believe it or not, the reaction to the death of Nigel Lawson, because I think there is a connection uh, and there are lessons that link the two. Stay tuned, stay tuned. Then we'll come to your brilliant uh, questions. Uh, Just before that, a couple of announcements. Rock and Roll Politics is live at the Old Market Theatre in Brighton on Monday, April the 24th, a brand new show. So for those of you on the South Coast in Brighton and nearby, uh, do come along. Tickets will be in the blurb, the link to the tickets, but obviously you can go to the Old Market Theatre website, get some tickets. We will have a great evening. It's a lovely theatre, lovely bar, and there will be much to make sense of then is the opinion poll lead of Labour soft? If so, why? With what implications for the coming months? I mean, I'm just, you know, if we were doing it tonight, that's perhaps what it will be. But let's see on uh, April the 24th. Also uh, now on Patreon, for those of you who subscribe, you will have the latest bonus podcast on troublemakers. This one, David Owen. And, with your, and that was an idea from a listener, actually. Uh, and so I've got some emails from listeners for new ideas, which are great. For new series on that uh, Patreon rock and roll politics version, uh, so do subscribe if you can. Um, and now, yeah, those Labour ads—I got—it's a real sign when there is something whirling around. The number of emails I get uh, uh, over uh, the kind of weekend period when this kind of story erupted, and I got loads. First of all, there's a lot of sort of um, moralising, which is completely uh, almost laughable. Uh, I read some columnists saying, well, this means that the Tories have every right to go in hard on Starmer, these sort of ads that Labour have been uh, putting out. Well, I can guarantee to everybody listening and to those columnists that The Tories were going to go hard on Starmer, irrespective of what Labour did this weekend or any other weekend. If Labour had uh, ran a campaign of uh, kind of tranquil gentility, it would not have been reciprocated. The Conservatives would have gone in with their metaphorical bother boots, uh, aided by and influenced by the Tory newspapers who are... Uh, increasingly bullying in the run-up to a general election. In descending into the gutter, so to speak, Label has not brought down the whole uh, level of debate because the Tories would have gone there. And uh, they always do. And by the way, um, I don't blame them. I find the uh, propaganda of the newspapers disturbing and loathsome. But election campaigns are not... A public seminar. It's the mistake uh, that is made quite often. I think it was the mistake made by many when Cameron called a referendum on uh, whether we should stay in the EU. And then suddenly people found that the likes of Dominic Cummings were fighting hard and uh, there were constant lies from the Brexit campaign. Well, what did we expect? In a campaign, you play to win and it is sometimes Uh, you have to play with a kind of brutality. And when I look back at the treatment of the Tories and their newspapers to Michael Foote, Neil Kinnock, Ed Miliband and others, there is a brutality, whatever Labour does. So in that sense, uh, there's a lot of, oh, how shocking, going on. However, and in my case, it is a big, angry, however, I might be sounding calm, but remember, it's an act. Um, I, I'm not calm about anything. What really worries me is not, I, I think they've got every right to go for Sunak, not not every right, duty to. Uh, uh, politics in Britain is presidential and a lot of the next year will be Sunak versus Starmer um, and, and as if it was a presidential campaign. And they, if they want to maintain this uh, poll lead, have to absolutely associate him with the calamities of recent years. But to begin that uh, campaign with uh, when there is so much material. Uh, He is a self-declared fiscal conservative Thatcherite. Uh, His record as Chancellor and so on uh, leaves... Uh, Britain on the edge of a cliff on many different fronts, but to go on uh, a kind of claim, implicit claim, that uh, Sunak is relaxed about rapists and paedophiles being uh, roaming the streets, in effect, uh, while Labour are going to lock them all up, was so crude Uh, and so misjudged in um it's it's jarring in terms of you know there's so much to go on with uh rishi sunak although he is proving uh quite uh leaderly in some respects um but to go on this was pathetic and I, you know why they do it uh there are, there are defensive reasons sunak with um showing he's going to play low, keeps on going on about Starmer being this lefty North London liberal. Um, you know, what's he? You know, kind of billionaire in with a swimming pool in North Yorkshire amongst many other houses. I mean, it is all absurd. But the defensive thing is say, right, we're going to show and forget about all this lefty liberal lawyer stuff. We are tough on crime. And Sunak has been soft on crime, except it doesn't fit really with the uh, caricature of Sunak. The idea that he sits there in number 10 saying, oh, yeah, yeah, let's let out a few more rapists or let's not put them. Uh, it, it, It doesn't it doesn't work as an attack line. It reminds me of the Tories uh, in the build-up to '97. did that Demon Eyes advert about Blair. They they realised they had to get Blair. And so they did these posters of him with Demon Eyes and uh, saying it's the same old Labour Party underneath and all this kind of thing. And that too generated a huge amount of publicity. And I remember at the time, although now... Uh, Danny Finkelstein admits they got it all wrong. At the time, I remember bumping into Danny Finkelstein and saying the fact that people are talking about these ads show that they're working. Well, they didn't work because they didn't add up. Um, People don't follow politics on the whole, but they can form an impression of someone. The impression they had formed of Blair, rightly, was of someone who uh, was entirely different, really, to any other previous Labour leader, for good and bad. Um, And this demon eye thing just uh, was ridiculous and preposterous and was a sign of uh, a Tory party so good at winning elections, losing the art in the build-up to '97. What has happened with these ads? Remember the context as well. You know, here was an Easter weekend where there was further evidence of Britain not working on any level people not being able to travel chaos at st pancras chaos again at dover trains being cancelled left right and center stations closed uh, doctors about to embark on a week long strike etc 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 and uh labor begin their attacks on um uh, sunak on the idea that he's relaxed about pedophiles and rapists being free it's a kind of Misjudgment on so many different levels, and it raises again the question of who does Keir Starmer want to be as a public figure? And uh, he remains extremely vulnerable to the this accusation of flip flopping all over the place and not being trustworthy. His uh, background, I don't know if any of you have heard, uh, also produced by. Um, Uh, the brilliant podmasters that uh, produce my podcast Michael Crick's um, latest take uh, which is on Keir Starmer and he uh, interviews two barristers who worked with him Helena Kennedy and and another one and they both um, speak to his uh, integrity and trustworthiness Uh, as a lawyer he did a lot of free uh, work unpaid work for various causes and so on he was a big reformer with the lawyers, Haldane Society of Labour Lawyers and so on. And yet, in politics, there is this uh, record of saying one thing at one moment, the exact opposite at another moment. Um, and during this furore over the Labour advertising techniques, Uh, there was a video put out of uh, Keir Starmer saying one thing here, the opposite in another interview a few months later and so on. And this is going to be a problem for him because they, ironically, the Tories, having tested the idea that a prime minister can be trusted to the limits, to put it politely, in the Johnson era and in a different way in the trust era, are going to play the trust card. Uh, that this figure, Starmer, can't be trusted. He's all over the place. Can you believe what he's saying in the build-up to an election, given what he said during the leadership election campaign, uh, given what he then did to Corbyn? All this kind of thing is going to play in this presidential battle between Sunak and Starmer. And therefore, Starmer needs to be very careful about what he... As they say, I think it's perfectly legitimate to go for Sunak. They are going to go for him. But how you do it, this advert was silly. It was not credible. Um, And in its crudity, undermined the sense, uh, which should be a positive for Starmer, that here was somebody who ran a big public department, very unusual for a leader of the opposition to have that experience, especially a Labour one. Um, and it was involving the implementation of the law, the director of public prosecutions, head of the, this and that. But there you go in with your first attack ad, which doesn't make sense. And <clears throat> what makes it more complicated is that the implication is that Labour would put more people in prison. Now, the prison population in Britain is already ridiculously high, Um And when asked, uh, because it's the clear implication of the advert that they're going to have to build more prisons, the various shadow cabinet people put up uh, in relation to the advert struggled to give an answer. You know, it's not the idea that you go for Sunak and link Sunak to the fact that nothing works in Britain. You've got to do that as an opposition. But the nothing that doesn't work is not really about paedophiles wandering around the street. Or if it is, it's because of uh, economic policies that means there are huge delays in courts to get things processed, etc, etc. And then, of course, what happened uh, was, and and this is happening increasingly at the top of Labour at the moment, Yvette Cooper didn't retweet this uh, silly ad. And there was then a brutal briefing against her from somebody. Starmer should find out who it is and sat that person. All that does, it was to the Mail on Sunday. You know, the Labour, they were all on a high that they got a splash out of this ad and Kiss Starmer got an article in the Mail on Sunday, incidentally rewarded on Monday or Tuesday by the Daily Mail doing a four-page attack on the whole thing and on Starmer. But anyway, there was a, a briefing operation against Yvette Cooper. Now, all that people reading, the Mail on Sunday, will get from that, is <clears throat> a party uh, deeply disturbed at the top. They won't go away Say, oh, wow, yeah, uh, someone's briefing that Yvette Cooper's a disaster area. And by the way, she's on holiday and was on holiday at the weekend. She was not spending her time briefing against everything. She was on holiday in Singapore visiting her daughter. But anyway, someone decided to put the knife in um, you know whether it was refighting the Blair Brown battles, which some of them do in a kind of insane way, because she was more associated with Brown than Blair. Who knows what it was? But people reading it would just say, "Oh, this is a weird party." Still, uh, you know, they've just launched these a- attack ads, and they're falling out over it, and they're slagging off the Shadow Home Secretary, um, and you know, all of that um, is is crazy. But to be honest, uh, what has worried me more than uh, any of that? Because advertising is hard to get it right, to make it all cohere and add up with the leader's character, the policies you're espousing, the way you want to expose the weaknesses of the governing party's policies. And to turn these into ads, that it is tricky. But what has disturbed me more in recent times is the briefing that's come out That the other divide is um, uh, between which focus group uh, Keir Starmer and his Shadow Cabinet should be following. Uh, Whether it's a focus group in the Red Wall, which produces certain findings, or a focus group defined and described as the Stevenage woman, who has different concerns from some of those in the Red Wall. And this has been briefed, you know, as a great intense internal debate. And those doing the advocacy for Stevenage Woman think they're being so clever because Blair did Worcestershire Woman or Worcester Woman and... You know, all of that, and here we go again. We're going to be like Blair and building up to 97. This is in the mind of some of these people. What's depressing about that is its shallowness. And in a way, I think the shallowness was the problem with the ad. Instead of deep thinking, what are we trying to do here? Yeah, we have got to be shown to be tough on crime. Um, are we going about it in the right way, uh, linking Sunak? to the pedophiles what will it do about Keir Starmer and his role when he was DPP have they, you know have they thought all these things through with this thing what's so depressing is really and it does speak to um a a tendency uh which is to mouth what a focus group has said so you know Starmer well, it was up in scotland recently talking about the nhs and he had been very conscious that focus groups in the red wall had found they don't want foreign workers coming here so he's oh no we're not going to have foreigners coming here you know um oh we're going to train all our own and things like that kind of sounding almost like farage now that's not him now of course all leaders dissemble you are not wholly yourself as a public figure um but the danger of mouthing focus groups is inauthenticity uh, becomes uh, almost to the point of absurdity. And when you can kind of compare this internal debate, oh, should Keir Starmer mouth an utterance from a focus group in Stevenage or the Red Wall? New Labour, which was not uh, known for the depth of its internal debates, but they were... Bigger than this, you know. Just to give one example um, of, of many, when in uh, September 1994 Blair and Brown uh, held a joint event at the National Film Theatre on their approach to economic policy, Peter Mandelson briefed to the Sunday Times the political editor Andy Grice, that this would mark the end of Labour support for Keynesianism. Ed Ball saw that and was devastated because one of his heroes uh, was and is Keynes. And what he and Brown, with deep seriousness, as well as electoral expediency, were trying to do was kind of resurrect Keynesianism in a different context that could win the trust of the electorate. But at least that was a kind of interesting debate the degree to which they were dumping canes or not this or do we utter a woman from stevenich or a uh, 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 some red wall voter you know from a focus group up there i've honestly not known such a shallow strategic analysis of how to win an election and what worries me i, I remember seeing uh Keir at one of his at a very low point uh, they had lost the Hartlepool by election, uh, and and Johnson was still incredibly popular in spite of doing some terrible things during the pandemic. But I remember saying to him, you know, I, I think you will win an overall majority, and that was based on several uh, assumptions. Um, the the well the accurate one that Johnson was totally out of his depth and hopeless at uh, leadership and was in the wrong place at the wrong time and many other issues about the governing party but also I thought he had with that background um, actually a capacity to lead and frame a pitch in opposition into government that some previous Labour leaders of the opposition didn't didn't have. Funnily, now uh, Labour are t- 20 points ahead in the polls. I'm slightly less sure because of what has happened um, in terms of uh, uh, how Keir has evolved um, in recent. Times. Um, but it is, you know, shallowness is always um, tempting in politics. Oh, yeah, two and two are four. Uh, we must be tough on crime. Uh, they, they thought Corbyn was soft on crime, therefore we do this. You know, and it kind of leads to weird places. And I know this debate about authenticity is so familiar and cliched, but the art of leadership is, I mean, it's, it's contradictory, is to appear authentic. But to do that, it has to be based on a clear sense of yourself and what you stand for. I think they need to address as well this kind of flip-flopping thing. You know, it was a very big call, the wrong one in my view, to go from, uh, you know, endorsing Corbyn as prime minister in 2019 to not letting him even stand as a kind of backbencher and a candidate. But if you're going to do it, you have to make sense of it. And if you're now going to be the ones, you know, kind of cracking down on crime and building more prisons, you have to say, how are you going to pay for it? And you have to allow Yvette Cooper the space to say, all right, we're going to do this, and yes, we are going to invest. And if you're not going to allow them to do that, you're going to have to choose a different attack line. I just think, you know, New Labour had um, its flaws in its cautious incrementalism, but boy, did they... Analyze uh, every move and the consequences of every move um, with great ferocious forensic energy. And, you know, kind of Brown Balls used to go off for days to kind of work out what they could do in government in terms of economic policy, what they were saying in the election and how that would interconnect once they made the independent Bank of England independence and so on. And, you know, you go further back, the debates in the 60s preceding the dire 50s for Labour were deeper than do you utter a quote from Stevenage Woman or the Red Wall. They still benefit from the reaction to the Johnson Trust. Um, and Sunak is beatable. Um, he, of course, is the... Uh, a real Brexiteer. Uh, Truss was a Remainer. Johnson didn't know what he wanted. He's the one who's been the Brexiteer, but they won't go on Brexit because they haven't found the agility to speak for those uh, Red Wall Brexiteer voters by highlighting how they have been betrayed by the Brexit that was promised and also the Brexit that was delivered. I could go on and on and on. But, of course, in fairness to all of them who I have been analysing, Labour are well ahead in the polls. I have to say, I think they would be well ahead in the polls under any situation at the moment because of what happened with uh, Truss specifically, but also Johnson. We, you know, They have such ammunition to go on. But there needs to be, you know, we've got these potentially exciting ideas you know I don't know if you heard the interview I did with Bridget Phillipson about her ideas for a kind of national child care scheme has been partially nicked by Jeremy Hunt but by no means wholly if they were big about it and I say all of this knowing full well all the possible traps of tax and spend in a British general election with the British media but yeah I think there are kind of ways of avoiding the trap and being able to pitch boldly. And now, over to your questions. And if you want to join in our questions, it's uh, steverick14 at iCloud.com. Questions, points, whatever. We had a lot on um the ads. Um, but I've kind of spread them out a bit because you might be thinking, Oh wow, you know, these ads, uh, there's more to life than these ads, and there are, of course. Um Steve Petrie says, I'm deeply uncomfortable with the consequences of a strategy where it's okay to be cavalier with the facts. Sunak has little direct responsibility for sentencing policy and wasn't an MP for at least part of the time referred to by Labour in its attack ad. That's a good point. You see, there's such an easy escape for Sunak and tough questions. When Keir Starmer's on next, you you see him being Torn apart about sentencing policy, where the degree of Sunak's culpability, and yet you can get Sunak on so many things and the, the the economy, the lack of growth, and all you know all the things that touch people's lives. I know crime touches people's lives as well, and in the focus groups, crime is high up there. Um, but if you detach it from the facts. You can end up in trouble quite quickly. Um, and by the way, you know, and then people say, oh, well, what about during the Brexit referendum when the Brexiteers ran nonsense about Turkey about to join and all this kind of thing? Um, I don't think that's what won it for them. Um, uh, the Brexit was uh, going to be won the moment Cameron announced the referendum. 20 years of propaganda, at least, against uh, the European Union. Um, so yeah I think that's a good point oh yeah that's I was going to say god I forgot Uh, but the next question has reminded me I was going to link all this to Nigel Lawson and the reflections on Lawson's uh, legacy because what is really interesting is that while I um, strongly disagree with uh, Nigel Lawson's uh, economic policies and his privatisations. I think the privatisations were rushed, uh, things were sold off too quickly, and the level of service has been catastrophic. And this is gradually being realised now, though not, of course, it's taboo for the Labour to go near ownership, um, except for the railways, um, which are chaotic. But what Lawson and Thatcher did is the way you uh, win elections and govern Because they could well win, but then could be overwhelmed in government if they carry on like this, which is you frame ideas and develop policies from them. At the moment, you know, things come every now and again oh, a non-tom tax, and oh, yeah, we'll do a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of that. But it doesn't seem to come from an overwhelming kind of big idea. Well, uh, Lawson and Thatcher had one. my view, the wrong one, but they kept to it. And about the role of the state, the role of the private sector, markets, and taxation. Uh, Incidentally, still largely in place, uh, Lawson's view of tax. Um, So they would often make speeches about ideas. I remember Nigel Lawson making a brilliant speech in 1991 in the House of Commons. John Major was uh, Prime Minister, but way behind in the polls, like Sunak is now. And Lawson said... We'll win the next election because we're still winning the battle of ideas, which they were at the time, in spite of Neil Kinnock and Roy Hattersley's Herculean efforts to turn the thing round in terms of the battle of ideas. It they, they, they all got lost in other matters. Um, and they were winning the battle of ideas. Well, what is the Labour, what is Keir Starmer's idea about government and and? turning this country from one that is utterly dysfunctional to one that works. And then the policies that arise from them kind of make sense. And anyway, I thought it was very interesting that Lawson, even now, uh, like Thatcher, continues to shape debate. Um, Will Hutton uh, was on about Lawson's legacy on The World at One last week. And he kind of framed the case against and I thought, wow, this is fresh. I haven't heard really a case against, because Labour doesn't make it because they're scared of engaging in a battle of ideas. It's all about competence. And some on Labour have accepted much of the uh, in- uh, legacy. And so it's very interesting to hear an argument against. And then when you hear an argument against, you can see the doors opening to an alternative set of Policies, but you do have to have ideas and an analysis of what why this country is so dysfunctional. You don't just say it is dysfunctional. Sticking plaster politics. What caused the cracks that are only being remedied with sticking plasters? What are the causes and what are the big ideas to counter them? Then the policies make sense. Oh I could go on and on. So this um Den Cartilage writes It was fascinating to hear your view of someone you knew and liked. Uh, yeah, I did know Nigel Lawson towards the end and did like him. And to be honest, I hadn't thought about the lasting tax legacy highlighted by another listener. But wasn't he ultimately a failure as Chancellor? If you read my previous email, you know I'm biased, having graduated and really struggled to find work in the early 90s, a recession that followed the Lawson boom. Yeah, that's a very good point. Now, I don't think he was a success, but he was in the sense that he had an idea and followed it through, and they kept on winning elections that enabled them to do it. You're right. There was a boom, and then uh, a really, in the early 90s, it was dark, 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 Um and yeah uh, den mentions uh, Nigel Lawson's support for brexit he's got a lot to answer for but in fairness to lawson he could answer it i mean he put the case and as i said last week i think his memoir is i really recommend it and he does this great thing of saying if you don't if you find this a bit boring move on to page 80 you know, which, because he does technical stuff, and but he's also a journalist. Daryl Sugg from uh, Wallingham says, it was the Nigel Lawson part of the latest Question Time podcast that I felt I had to respond to. In it, you say that you knew him towards the end. Yeah, yeah. He certainly did believe passionately, uh, but uh, uh, again, Daryl says the wrong things, climate change denial being one of them. You also say he won... The argument, which I think is quite an open statement with little meaning. He certainly won the argument with people on his wing of politics, um, including the media. Uh, But yeah, I I met also uh, Daryl. He won uh, the argument in terms of, you're right, he had the media on his side, which is massively, massively helpful. But um, when he became... Uh, Chancellor 83, they won the 87 election with a landslide. Uh, His ideas were shaping the 92 election. Um, So, yeah. Anyway... um, uh, I kind of, I, I chaired a session at the National Theatre when um, that play about the 1970s was on by that genius James Graham and uh, it was a great panel just before the play started with those who had been there in that 70s hung parliament and Nigel Lawson was one of them and um, uh, yeah I spoke to him a few times before and since um, and, uh, yeah, he, I found it very engaging and curious. He had a curiosity, which not all politicians do have. Uh, but his policies I completely disagreed with and, and c- c- catastrophic. Anthony Wilson, uh, loving the podcast here in sunny Porto with a glass of something local and deep red. Um, oh, yeah, well, I'm very pleased for you, Anthony. Um, it's, I'm sitting here and it's cold. I've been puzzling for a while now over your uh, interview with Danny Finkelstein probably the figure among your interviewees to date, that I am most far from politically. Though as a fellow Chelsea fan, I offer him my deepest sympathy. Yeah, they're in trouble. Ever since Danny got on the board of Chelsea, there's been trouble. Though I disagree with his analysis, I couldn't help be impressed by the consistency of his messaging on austerity. For a moment, it was like listening to George Osborne on the Today programme in 2010. And yet surely the impact of austerity on the public fabric of the UK is to blame for our lack of resilience as a nation, not least during the pandemic. Is there any mileage at all for Labour going on the attack over this aspect of the Tory time in government? The, you bet there is, Anthony. It began all that time ago in 2010. <clears throat> but Danny Fieldstein was a very powerful ally for George Osborne because there he, he's got a very mild tone in his columns. And when he broadcasts, and the BBC treated him almost like an impartial commentator during that period, Um, and yet he was absolutely passionately uh, supportive of that austerity programme, still is, Uh, he saw it as the centre ground. I think he's accepted that that isn't the case anymore. Susan Richards has got a good idea um, for a new series for all of us lot. She says she's enjoying the Troublemakers series on uh, uh, the Patreon uh, version and looking forward to the Edinburgh Festival. Oh, yeah, see you there, Susan. Uh, Anyway, her idea is a, a, a series on why leaders leave office. Recently, Nicola Sturgeon's reputation seemed to almost overnight crash and burn after leaving office. But despite subsequent events, Alex Salmond seemed to choose the perfect time to leave. The way they leave office seemed to say a lot about the whole career of a politician, beyond the cliché that all political careers end in failure. Yeah, that's, that's a, a, and Susan listens to podcasts over a nice cup of tea. Well, that's nice, Susan. I prefer the idea of the red wine in Porto. Just, just. But isn't it interesting? And isn't the Nicola Sturgeon drama utterly compelling? We don't know a lot of what's been going on in recent days, but over time we will. Yeah, and the way leaders fall, of course she, Nicola, went voluntarily. The fall of leaders has so many consequences um, afterwards. There's no neat uh, ending and a new beginning. They hover over successors as we're discovering now with the SNP. But uh, just look at the fall of Thatcher and how she hovered over John Major, hovered over several major successors too, how Starmer is influenced by the fall of Corbyn and uh, influenced also by other predecessors, Blair, Brown. It is a really interesting theme, one to which we shall have to return. Thank you, Susan. And... That should be just about it. I'm sorry, I've got I had, God, so many questions ready to read out. Um, but if it's okay with you, um, there'll be a redistribution of questions for another uh, another of the uh, podcasts uh, because well, it's still the Easter holidays. We've got things to do and fun to be had. So thank you so much for tuning in for today. We'll be back again uh, later on where we can all get together to make sense of it all. Do join me at the Old Market Theatre in Brighton where we shall have some fun and shed light on the wild world of politics. Um, And uh, yeah, if you are stood away, have a good time. But let's get together very soon to make sense of it all. Thank you. Bye. Bye.